Hungry Trilobite podcast would like to start by acknowledging these fine conventions. SoonerCon. SoonerCon is Central Oklahoma's longest-running pop culture convention. It is held in Norman, Oklahoma, and the next event is scheduled for June 24th through 26th, 2022. You can go to SoonerCon.com to sign up and get early bird pricing on admission. The Hellmouth Convention. The Hellmouth Convention is a celebration of fandoms such as Buffy, Firefly, and Dr. Horrible. It is scheduled for June 3rd through 5th, 2022 in Los Angeles, California. All proceeds raised will benefit various charities. Please go to thehellmouth.org for more information. Welcome to today's episode of the Hungry Trilobite Podcast. My name is Aaron Bossig, and I'm going to be your host. Today I'm welcoming Jim Dershberger to the show, and Jim and I are going to discuss Rift Tracks the video game. Now you know I love video games, and you know I love Rift Tracks, so this is going to be a topic that will bring us all a great deal of joy in the very near future. After the chat, keep listening for word on my newest collaboration, Sci-Fi Coffee. What's so sci-fi about this coffee? We'll get back to that. Let's get started. On tap today, we have Jim Dershberger. How are you doing today? Good, sir. Very good. How are you, Aaron? I am doing fantastic. I am so glad to have you here. And by the time the audience gets this, they should be able to purchase the, your company's new game. You're from Wide Right Games, and you are producing Rift Tracks of the game. Yes, it, it is out if you are listening to this on May 5th, 2020 or later. <laughs> It is. And this is something that just kind of fell in our laps there. I've been thinking for the longest time that a game based on something like MST3K would be great. But how would it come about? How What would it be like? And then suddenly the Rift Tracks game exists. There we are. Yeah. Um, I think it all started with our last game, What the Dub, which was a uh, multiplayer party game. We're showing you... Um, video clips and there's a missing line of dialogue everyone and kind of a jackbox game style way you get on your phone and you uh, go to a website and you enter in the replacement text so someone in a clip from the 1950s says hey you want a cup of coffee and you write in something kind of uh smart ass to write in uh as response we play it back with uh text to speech and um then you get to watch it vote on your favorite ones So, yeah, we released that game, What the Dub, in 2021, and it uh, it kind of, you know, totally exceeded our expectations in terms of the streamers that played the game and the sales and the community and and everything around it. We were just really excited about it. And, you know, obviously, as you mentioned, in the back of our minds, being fans of Mystery Science Theater and Rift Tracks. It was always kind of in the back of our mind. I mean, we're literally watching the Rift Tracks uh, Twitch channel 24-7 while we're making the game. So, you know, Mike, Kevin, and Bill are, like, already in our minds. Um, like, wouldn't it be awesome to collaborate with those guys? So after we released the game, What the Dub, uh, we tweeted at them. And we just said, hey, you know, thanks for the inspiration. Love you guys. Please don't sue us. Um <laughs> They didn't. And uh, in fact, they did the opposite. The guys at Rift Tracks saw that, looked at the game, said, okay, there's something here and reached out. And very quickly, we kind of found the 
you know, terms of agreement here and or engagement. We said, hey, this is how we want to do it. This is the scope of the game. And we started making it about a year ago. Um, so it's been very quick. Uh, we've tried to take everything that worked, uh, worked well in what the dub and make sure that it works exceptionally well in Rift Tracks. Um, all of the things, again, the great community, we basically took, looked at all of our support tickets, all of the tweets, anything someone said, hey, I wish this was in the game. We said, can we do it? What's the value to all the players? And if we could do both, if both were valid, we put it in the game. So, uh, you know, there's a lot of, uh, I call them quality of life fixes. There's some just minor stuff, little things about how the game is scored or being able to turn something off um, that we put in the game. And of course, the centerpiece, though, is the content. And we are leaning on 15 years of Rift Tracks content and jokes. Um, they have a much better pre-cleared, not, not always public domain library. What the dub was strictly public domain clips, whereas Rift Tracks, you have licensed content. And then the jokes, you know, the, the, the ability to use the guys in the writing team at Rift Tracks. They wrote well over 3,000 jokes that are in the game. And all of those things combined, you know, kind of we have a spiritual successor to what the dub but also something new and exciting for fans of Rift Tracks and party games alike. That is so cool. And I love the fact that you're able to take the Rift Tracks body of work and distill it into this because we have games on things like Star Wars and Star Trek and things that already have a substantial history to them and a lore. And people don't think of Rift Tracks as having a lore, but it really does. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, a, Rift Tracks, uh, Mystery Science Theater, Cinematic Universe that we're tapping into. <laughs> yes, and that's the kind of thing that, you know, between the, the ice cream bunny and, and Plankton and, and all those things that we, we just constantly reference because we've found the, the jokes. It's like a shared pain almost. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, you know, that's the thing is I remember, uh, you know, in, uh, way back in the 90s, uh, watching cable television on sci-fi and um, coming across Mystery Science Theater, you know, after I was like sneaking downstairs to watch Beavis and Butthead um, without my parents finding out and that would be on and just like dying laughing. So, you know, I, I feel like I go way back with these guys, you know, I had I have uh, tons of Mystery Science Theater on DVD, been subscribed to Rip Tracks and bought you know, purchased all of their products throughout the years, but getting into this and meeting some of, you know, just hearing feedback or interacting with uh, like real Rift Tracks fans, I feel like uh, a total hack. <laughs> like I feel like a poser because yeah, there's, there's You're some folks. Never a poser they, in this community. Yeah. You know, of course, everyone's uh, friendly, but I'm just like, man, I thought I knew my riff tracks but clearly i am mistaken because there are some folks who they know every joke every inside joke um true uh true masters of the riff tracks way of life you know <laughs> and it is a way of life because it's a way of looking at the world where no matter how serious something is you can put a silly spin on it because you have to to survive in this life yeah yeah and uh you know, there's the guy, each 
one of the riffers, you know, Mike, Kevin, and Bill, they kind of have their own, their own, literally their own voice mm-hmm. when it comes to the comedy. And this goes, you know, back to Mystery Science Theater, the dynamic between Tom Servo, Crow, and uh, Mike, you know, like they, they have a different style, you know, mm-hmm. and how you look at it and how you kind of pick things apart. Um, I love that perspective uh, because nothing... Nothing is sacred and nothing is too serious that you can't throw a joke in there. And uh, yeah, not to get too philosophical, but it's a great way to look at life. You know, don't take yourself too seriously. There's I'm glad you brought up the 90s because there's something that I'm really thinking of here and I'm trying to spin it in a way that complements your game. Because number one, when you talk about Tom Servo and Crow, I see them like when I physically see them, I see reproductions of the puppets. It's like I'm meeting an old friend at a bar. It's like, oh, hey, there you are. Let's <laughs> catch up, buddy. It's like you have that warm reaction to it. And this game you're describing sounds like a better version of those full motion video games from the Sega CD era. Yeah. It's like now F- we have the FMV is back. <laughs> yeah. And it's done right this time. Yeah. Like we- I mean, it's the, the components of, of this game uh, you know, the, the centerpiece is video. You are essentially just watching video. You know, we have a, an interface that kind of presents the score and the flow of the game for you, but essentially we funnel everything through this kind of VHS uh, aesthetic. You know, the hub of the game is a POV from a couch looking at a TV. The options menu is, uh, you know, that blue, crunchy, lo-fi screen that if you ever had to reprogram your VCR, we'll be very familiar. Like that's because that's, you know, where you feel at home. If you grew up in the 80s or 90s or, you know, even the uh, early 2000s when home video was the only way to consume movies, uh, that's a view and that's a feeling that is very real. Uh, mm-hmm. And yeah, we, you know, definitely wanted to capture that and bring, you know, inject that into the game experience. And part of this is going to be exploring all this old content, this public domain weirdness that you've found. And that's something that definitely happened back in the VHS era. You know, there were bargain bin tapes. There was stuff you would find, you know, handed down from promotions and whatnot that discovering film has changed so much, but it's a great way to do it. Yeah. And I think we're now at a place where the folks who grew up with uh, that kind of content and consuming content in that way are now creating their own content. Um, I think, you know, one of the best examples I think in video games was uh, Cuphead. Mm -hmm. You know, the creators of Cuphead talked about going to their local video store or supermarket and renting, you know, when you could rent VHS tapes from like Wegmans or your local, you know, grocery store chain, they would have them right Mm -hmm. there, you know, next to the bread. And they used to rent these public domain cartoon compilations mm-hmm. that have that um, that classic 30s and 40s uh, cartoon aesthetic to it. And that made a huge impression on them. You know, not because they were necessarily, you know, you go back and watch them and they're like, they're not great cartoons, but they're, they're not what you were seeing on television. And, you know, then fast forward 30 years later, they create uh, a game that, you know, that recaptures that feeling and that 
that visual style and transforms it into something mm-hmm. amazing. Uh, you know, it's a work of art, that game. So, yeah, it's really cool to see that this stuff is starting to uh, have a second act and, uh, and, you know, be transformed and presented to players and audiences in, in new ways. Indeed. And I came up to be in school at the tail end of the educational film era. It was only really a thing for like the first two or three years of my being in school. So I, I saw, it go, I kind of waved goodbye to it, but I still have a huge appreciation for that aesthetic. The old Coronet films, the Encyclopedia Britannica films that we got yeah. to know through the shows. I mean, and obviously it's one of Riff Tracks' cash cows making those little shorts. Yo, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I totally miss that that era. I think I, I grew up in the, you know, the only real films that we watched in school were all tied to, you know, like the D.A.R.E. or anti-drug, uh, say no to drugs initiatives. And it was always about drugs. Anytime they would mm-hmm. pull us all into like the uh, auditorium or the gym. It's like someone's going to be talking about drugs, uh, you know. Um, yeah. And I, I don't know if anyone else had this experience. I grew up in the, the Northeast, but we used to have these. Uh, I, they weren't even like video. They would set up like three projector screens and it was like slides. It was kind of like a slideshow, but it was, you know, a little bit more flashy than your run of the mill, you know, slide carousel. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was like sponsored by Pepsi and was all about like not doing drugs and they try to make it cool. So they play like Metallica songs or like (laughs) Lincoln park. And yeah, there'd be like, you know, and it was all like a slideshow. So it'd be like, Hey man, you want to smoke a cigarette? Sure. And then like, you know, the kid smokes a cigarette and then cut to like, you know, you know, and they're like playing Metallica and they're showing the kids life collapse and you're just like this what (laughs) like what am i looking at and of course brought you by brought you by pepsi throughout the Uh entire thing you know he's drinking a pepsi uh yeah that that was the kind of films i grew up with (laughs) there was one that i caught and they actually brought it back in middle school i don't know why because it was way outdated by that point but i think it was a film from the early 70s and they were trying to just talk about responsibilities and these it's called the magic house i've never seen the guys do this but i really hope they do this just because i want to see this this come back again it was called the magic house his brother and his sister owned a dollhouse which they found out was magic it could grant wishes and they wished that their parents wouldn't be so responsible all the time so they wake up the next day and the parents are like yeah we don't want to get out of bed we don't want to go to work we don't want to cook breakfast uh, they are obviously stoned. They won't actually say that, but they're clearly on drugs. And the, the kids can't figure out how to break the spell, so they just burn the house down because that's clearly what makes the most sense. Yeah. And you couldn't even come up with a moral of the story other than if your parents are stupid, burn down a house. I mean, that's really all it <laughs> but it Arson, like- it might be the answer, you know. <laughs> yes. Uh <laughs> so yeah i hope this thing comes to light sometime because i i truly want to see it again yeah yeah i love i love that stuff and you know we uh we found there was a little bit of overlap between i think one or two of the films in riff tracks that were also in what the dub but 
know, as I mentioned, you know, they're, they're sitting on 15 plus years of content. So they're very quickly able to go through the list. Hey, we know we can get clips out of these films and this film and, you know, pulling from stuff like uh, uh, the boy in the plastic bubble, you know, there's a, uh, a film, I think it's, is it uh charade? It's like a Audrey Hepburn movie. And you're just like, Whoa, okay. So there's like kind of like a legit film in there um, mm-hmm. amongst all this other schlock um, versus, yeah, you know, with what the dub, we were just watching endless PSAs. And I mean, there you'd watch a 20 minute film about, you know, wheat and there would be nothing to pull nothing usable for the game because, you know, you got to find that setup and punchline kind of uh, rhythm to the clip so the players can use it. And there was nothing more devastating than spending like a day watching hours and hours of public domain footage. And then you're walking away with like six clips, you know, like that, that sucked. That was the hardest part about making that game. So it was a relief when, they're like, yeah, we got all these films. They've all been vetted. They're all totally cleared. We can use any part of them. And we know exactly which clips to pull. You're just like, oh, oh, I don't have to learn about, uh, you know, washing my hands or, uh, you know, plutonium or how to build a steel building or something, you know, just like this early 20th century uh, nonsense. <laughs> yeah. And you have the advantage of, well, if, it's almost an advantage if you have to use the whole movie because then you don't have to set sector out the clips. But in your case, that's really your goal. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, that was uh, kind of more the Rift Tracks teams, uh, their domain where they were able to go into their content, cut it up, you know, present it to us. And these are the clips that work. These are clips that don't work. This fits the format. This needs a tweak. But pulling the content and finding out what what works in this format was a lot easier just having the knowledge from what the dub and also the advantage of working with people who know bad movies so very very well Mm -hmm. and also i think uh someone pointed this out uh the difference between uh there's a big difference between a riff and a dub you know what the dub the the hook is there's a missing line of dialogue put some words in this character's mouth and make it funny. Whereas a riff is more, I guess, kind of like abstract. Like you don't have to literally put words into a character's mouth. It's just a general observation. It could be Mm -hmm. a non sequitur. It could be a, you know, you find something very specific in that film to comment on. um, And it, it opens it up. It feels like it's easier to play. It's easier to be funny. There's less pressure. Um, and then of course, you know, being able to, uh, we included a riff for me button. So when you're playing the writer riff mode, if you find yourself stumped, just hit that button and it'll automatically play one of the custom, uh, generated riffs that the team made for each clip. So we have about 250 clips and there's about nine to 12 custom jokes per clip. So, um, even if every player hit that button, you wouldn't get a repeat. And the chances of you seeing that clip again after you played it is zero. So it gets to the back of the queue. So it keeps it fresh. Um, we also have another mode that we added called Pick a Riff, where it's uh, kind of more of like a Cards Against Humanity type flavor. We Same format, we present you with a clip, but instead of writing the response, 
we will deal you six riffs and they're all randomized and you kind of have to take what you have and see which one makes it work. You know, you might have a real a ringer in your deck and you're like, ah, oh, I don't know if I want to use this here. Maybe I'll save it for another one. Um, and it gets very, uh, it's super random because some of the riffs obviously do not belong to that clip. Um, but it's, it's great. And it takes a lot of the pressure off because you don't have to write. And it's a great intro game for, I think, people who are playing a party game. There's some pressure to be funny with this you're not, it's the, the power is in selecting what you think is the funniest kind of non sequitur versus having to use your brain and write it. So, yeah. And you've got to remember when you get people together, either at a, an in-person party or on a Twitch stream, there's always going to be that one person there that doesn't really know what this is all about. You get a bunch of people together. Somebody hasn't seen the show before. Totally. Yeah. Bring them into the fold gently you know, they're wondering why they can't hear the movie. This is a good way of working with them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think uh, Pick a Riff might be the uh, the sleeper in this game. You know, we we weren't sure. We're like, I don't know. Everyone loves, you know, what the dub writing and being crazy and basically just putting the most off the wall or, you know, offensive thing they can think of in, you know, in the in the clip. But yeah, to your point, this is a great intro and it's also a great warm up, you know, before you get into it, just to get you in that mindset of like, what are the, what kind of humor are we kind of going for here? And uh, it's very riff tracks. If you're a fan, uh, you'll feel right at home. And if you're new, I think, as you said, it's a great intro. It's a great way to get into it. Well, Jim, I am stoked about this. I am getting ready to download it tonight when it finally hits the internet. So it should be available by the time anybody hears this. Where can people follow this game, download it, buy it, and follow the adventures of you and your company? Well, uh, luckily the game is everywhere and anywhere. So it's on all platforms, all systems, uh, Steam, PlayStation 4, PlayStation 5, Xbox, uh, Series S and X, uh, Nintendo Switch, PC and Mac, um, game retails for $9.99. Um, you know, aiming for a good price point. It's got remote play, cross play. So if you get friends on Xbox and you're on Switch, you can still play together remotely. Um, and yeah, we are at Wide Right Games on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or you can go right to WideRightGames.com and check us out there. Okay, I'm going to put links to all this information in the show notes on my website, AaronBossig.com. Jim, I want to thank you so much for taking time out of the release schedule to talk with me here. I can't wait to play this game. Thank you very much. Yeah, great talking to you too. I would like to thank Jim for being my guest today, and I would like to thank you for listening. Now, as I said at the beginning of this episode, I've entered into a collaboration with Sci-Fi Coffee. What does that mean? Well, Coffee and sci-fi go together naturally. We all love curling up with a good book and a cup of coffee or watching a movie with your favorite brew. This is not unusual, but what is unusual is that I recognize this company wants to do more than just sell coffee. They understand the sci-fi mindset. We've talked about ways of supporting creative minds within the sci-fi sphere, and I hope to bring you more from that as the weeks go on. We live in a challenging world. Regardless of what we love and what we talk about online and in podcasts, there are still jobs and chores to be done. 
And we have to do them without warp drives and sonic screwdrivers and lightsabers. What we do have, however, is coffee. You can start your real-world mornings with a little hint of your favorite fantasy worlds by choosing Sci-Fi Coffee. Visit sci-fi-coffee.com to place an order. This has been a great episode, and let's keep this going. It's no secret to anybody here that I love Mystery Science Theater 3000, and I do love Rift Tracks, but I haven't really had the chance to talk about Rift Tracks as much up until now as I have in this particular episode, and I want to keep that going. I'm going to open up the Good Pods app and type in Rift Tracks into the search bar, and what I'm getting is a podcast called Castle of Horror Podcast. This is a current show, it's been running for quite a while, and they've interviewed cast members from Rift Tracks, and that means I want to be in their community, and I hope they can be a part of mine. I don't know that much about horror, I've gotten better since starting Hungry Trilobite, but I want to keep delving into that community. Don't forget, you can subscribe to this show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, YouTube. Thanks so much, and we'll see you next time.